0: Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman-Torpey.
1: And I'm Pete Torpey.
2: Yeah, I think quite often when people think design, they just think that we just draw pretty pictures. But that's not quite the case. There's a lot that goes into it. Even Like it's the user interface, it's the materials that you use, it's the joining methods of the product. And so for this as well, I had to make it fully waterproof um, to be able to use in the water for a long period of time.
1: And today's guest will tell us how a class project turned into a useful device for the blind. Competitive blind
0: swimmers currently rely on sighted assistants to signal them before making their turn for the next lap. We'll speak with Mirta Hofstede, who designed a system that obviates the need for an assistant while at the same time providing better feedback to blind swimmers. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip came out of our conversation with Mirta Hofstede. So... Do you have a tip for us?
2: Well, I think Pete mentioned a pretty good tip, actually, for current visually impaired swimmers to wear those armbands on their arms if they keep getting scratched on the lane ropes. (laughs) It worked for me. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, Optic will still take a few years to come out. So in the meantime, I think that's a pretty good solution, Pete. The
1: salesman was certainly surprised when he asked what sport I wanted an armband for, and it was swimming. We all got a good laugh out of it. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by The Intracortical
0: Visual Prosthesis Project, as described in Episode 2151. Interested volunteer participants can learn more at www.chicagolighthouse.org slash ICVP or contact them at icvp at iit.edu.
1: You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, success,
2: success, success,
0: success. Let's start by meeting Mirta.
2: Hi, my name is Myrthe Hofstede. I am a Dutch university student currently living in the Netherlands. Previously, I lived in Malaysia, um, and during my project, I was studying in the UK at Loughborough University. I am 23 years old, um, and I designed Optic, um, which is a navigational device for visually impaired swimmers.
0: I gather you are not visually impaired yourself. What got you interested in developing a device for the visually impaired?
2: So I used to be a competitive swimmer um, at international level. When I came across my final year design project, I wanted to do it in an area that I already had some base knowledge, um, and that was swimming. And then I went and researched current problems within the swimming world, and I came across visually impaired swimming.
1: Did you know any visually impaired swimmers personally before getting involved in this project?
2: I did not, know, but I was very lucky throughout my project Um, to have access to Loughborough University. And at that swimming pool that we have there, uh, we have a visually impaired swimming program. So I was very grateful to use um, both the coach and the visually impaired swimmer throughout my research.
1: And what is exactly your field of study?
2: I study product design. So it's a Bachelor of Science, and it's very practical and you Start by uh, doing a lot of research in the area that you're doing. Then you do ideation and play with a lot of technology in both electronics and mechanics areas. Um, and then you come up with your final project through uh, CAD software and rendering to create the nice images that hopefully can change the world.
1: It's so nice to see colleges offering practical degrees like that these days and people actually majoring in such programs so they can have a real impact on the world.
2: 100%. I think people don't always realize how much stuff around the world is designed, but that's actually good. That means that we're doing our job properly because if something is designed well, you shouldn't have to think about it. Um, But everything is designed. I mean, from a water bottle to a street lamp to your phone, to medical appliances, everything has some impact from product designers. So it's a very broad area.
0: I gather you're done with your education. Do you have a new degree you're going for or a job or something?
2: Yeah, so I just finished uh, my bachelor's study. Um, and now I'm starting my master's study in the Netherlands at the TU Delft also in
0: product design. Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Underwriting pairs the impact of targeted marketing with the integrity of community goodwill.
1: Learn more by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net.
0: This week's focus topic is the Optic Low Vision Swimming Aid designed for competitive blind swimmers.
1: You mentioned in the introduction that you had been a competitive, world-class swimmer yourself. And I'm wondering, before we talk about the age you developed, if you can give us sort of a 30-second elevator pitch overview of what it's like to be an internationally competitive swimmer. I take it you travel a lot. There must be hours and hours of exercise and practice every day.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, being any kind of athlete is a lot of work. So I was initially swimming in Malaysia because that's where I was born and where I grew up. And I swam with the national team out there, which was amazing. Um, But yeah, so training was like at least six times a week. Training sessions would be three hours long. So it would be two hours in the pool and then one hour of either on land or gym training, especially for me because I was a long distance swimmer. So I had to get a lot of kilometers in every training session. So I would say maybe seven kilometers per training, which is a lot. (laughs) And also then morning sessions and night sessions and very early nights. So it's great if you have a passion for it, definitely. But obviously other things in your life, like social life, uh, for example. But then you have your very close group of friends that you swim with every single day as well.
1: It must be a pretty tight knit community. 100%.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, because you train together um, and you go through like the thick and thin together. And although swimming is technically an individual sport, you're all teammates. So you all support each other and you all hope that you do the best. So you gave
1: us a quick glimpse of the aid that you want to develop for swimmers as your project for your degree. But you must have had lots of ideas. What pushed you in this particular direction and isolated this idea from the many other ideas and made you think you could make a contribution?
2: So throughout my research, I was then looking into different problems within swimming. Um, and I was looking at videos of visually impressed swimmers and what their current methods are. And that is a topper. So it's either a coach or a volunteer that stands at the end of the pool with a long stick with a ball at the end of it that taps the swimmer on their head one or two strokes before they have to turn. And this this is subjected to a lot of human error because if the swimmer um, accidentally touches like the ball twice, then they can actually get disqualified, which is a lot of uncertainty for a swimmer within their race. And they can't even really do much about it. And then also regarding a training session, they don't use the tapper during a training session, only during competition. So then they don't have the consistency of practicing with the tapper as much as possible.
1: Oh, that's interesting that they don't practice mm. that way. How do they get to learn this skill at all then?
2: I mean, they will practice it here and there, and but it very much also depends on um, what kind of program you're in. And if you have volunteers that are able to come and help, um, but quite often then they will use Like equipment like a water sprinkler to indicate when they're near the wall or to actually count their strokes. But every single lap, if you have to count your strokes, then you're not really focusing on your training and trying to push your body to the limit.
0: It occurs to me with the tapping method, if the tapper is off by even a tenth of a second at the speed the swimmer is going, that could be a big difference in when they exactly hit the wall
2: definitely that's why during the olympics i mean with the paralympics happening at the moment i watched it uh, on the tv and this dutch swimmer actually uh got tapped too early and he turned and he completely missed the wall so you have all this speed and all of a sudden you're just kind of like lying in the middle of the pool and you have to really use all your body might to kind of try and get going again and that's insanely difficult And if you are visually impaired as well, you also don't know which direction you should be going in. And the only thing that's actually giving you any indication is the wall. So if you can't feel that, then I can imagine that's very stressful.
1: And plus you need to push off the wall in order to get a good start in the reverse direction.
2: Exactly. Exactly. So he lost a lot of time with that. and as a coach tapping someone during the Olympics, they themselves feel a lot of pressure Mm -hmm. because if they do it wrong, then it's on them. And then for example, say they had a chance at winning gold, the Olympics and they tap them wrong, then that could be gone. And then you've based on your mistake, you've then cost someone an Olympic medal and what coaches said during my research was that they wouldn't be able to live with that. Right,
0: right. You set up a pretty strong motivation for developing a better system. Can you describe your system and how it differs from the traditional tapping method?
2: Well, so what I aim to do was give swimmers um, the feedback to let them know when they are near the wall and for them to also uh, swim in a straight line down the middle of the pool instead of zigzagging and hitting the lane ropes. Optic does that by using both a wearable device and a poolside device. So the wearable device, the swimmer will attach to their goggle line, and then the poolside device, the coach, will attach to the wall before either a training or a competition.
0: And how do those devices interact?
2: So they interact using Bluetooth connection, and the technology used is infrared uh, beams, ultrasonic distance sensors, and the bone conduction hearing. And bone conduction hearing is very interesting because with visually impaired uh, swimmers, because obviously one of their senses is already uh, not there, then all the other senses are, of course, heightened. So if you were then going to put a earpiece into the swimmer's ear, then they lose their surround sound. So bone conduction hearing uh, uses vibrations on the temple to actually uh, send those vibrations straight away to the inner ear instead of using the outer ear for sound. So swimmers can hear the feedback given by the device very clearly while still being able to hear their surroundings and their coach and the water and everything like that.
0: What kind of input does the device provide to the swimmer?
2: So regarding swimming in the middle of the lane, it will tell the swimmer to either move left or right based on their location in the water to stop them from hitting the lane rope and being as efficient as possible regarding a straight line. And then it will also give them a countdown of when they are near the wall so that they don't have this abrupt tap. They have a bit more of time to prepare So they don't have to rely on counting the strokes anymore and they can time their turn perfectly.
1: Is this in terms of speech feedback or some kind of audio beeping or frequency?
2: So this is in terms of speech feedback. Um, I found that with beeping that it wasn't as clear as you wanted it to be. And especially during a race when you're pumped up on adrenaline, you kind of just want the clearest feedback as possible. You don't want to have to think, oh, what did it say? Like, what did, what does that beeping mean? So it was through speech feedback. So it's almost like a GPS kind of system, but in the water.
1: So it will tell you presumably a little left or five feet to go or something like that?
2: Exactly. Well, it wouldn't say a little left. It would just be like left or right, mm-hmm. uh, just to be as concise as possible rather than, having words in between that could confuse the swimmer but then yes regarding the distance to the wall yes it would say five meters rather than feet as the Americans say Um, so it would tell them five meters three meters two meters and basically give them a countdown and then tell them turn at the exact moment that they need to turn So this gives them a bit more preparation to know when they are near the wall rather than just having that instant tap on their head and then all of a sudden having to turn without having any kind of prior warning.
0: Can you describe what both the wearable and the part on the edge of the pool look like?
2: Yeah, definitely. So the wearable device is almost like a semicircle kind of shape. It has a rigid segment that holds all the electronic components. um, And then it has little hooks on the inside for the goggles to clip onto um, when in the water. Um, And then it also has this rubber seal around it to basically um, mold to the swimmer's head a bit more. Because obviously when a swimmer dives into the water, we don't want it to come off. So creating the seal makes it very seamless, also for water resistance um, between the swimmer's head and the wearable device. And then the poolside device uses these two suction cups to basically stick onto the tiles of the pool wall. Um, And it is a collapsible device. So the infrared beams uh, that tell the swimmer to swim in the straight line are actually 1.25 meters apart. But obviously for storage, this is not ideal. So I made it collapsible. So after when the coach is done taking off the wall, they can collapse it into each other and then store it easily in the uh, changing rooms.
0: I can imagine how this would work great for an individual swimmer in a pool alone with the device. But when visually impaired swimmers compete, usually everybody in the pool is also visually impaired. And of course, they would all want this device because of how you motivated this situation at the beginning. What happens if there's another swimmer in between the swimmer in question and the device on the wall?
2: um so during competition obviously there's one swimmer and their own wearable device that would be connected to each other but that is the design flaw unfortunately with this device i was not able to design it for when there are multiple people in the lane or also when um during a training session when you have to swim in a circle around the lane um to accommodate for multiple people but this is very much the beginning of this project so hopefully In the future, when technology improves or new innovations come out, this can develop into a product that can then be used for situations that it does not accommodate for at the moment. Would
0: it be possible to put the poolside part at the end or both ends of the lane instead of on the side of the pool?
2: Well, yeah, so it is currently on the both uh, pool walls at the end of the walls.
0: Oh, I thought it was on the side of the pool and it watched the swimmer go by.
2: No, no, no. It's um, it's stuck onto the pool wall, so where the swimmer turns and touches and where they dive off of, yeah. Oh. Yeah, so if the swimmer is in their own lane, then it is no problem. Um, but if there's just multiple people in the lane, for example, during training, then that isn't quite the easiest, unfortunately.
0: I used to always volunteer to swim in the same lane as the blind guy, and everybody was grateful to me because they were worried they'd get hit. And I knew that he stayed the closest to the rope of anybody. And so the person who shared his lane got the biggest part of the lane. So I acted like I was being nice to everybody sharing the lane with the blind guy. (laughs) But I knew I was getting the better end of the deal.
2: But then like what Pete, what you just said as well, like, of course, that's great. Then for Nancy, when she was swimming, but then for the visually impaired swimmer, they then get all those scratches down their arm because the lane ropes are just so sharp.
1: Yes, yes. You just have to hit it a few times in in an hour or so. And uh, it developed quite a substantial mark on my arm.
2: Yeah.
0: So, Pete, you used to swim a lot. Um, Can you contrast your experience with what Myrta is describing using her device?
1: (laughs) Well, when I was in graduate school, a couple of times a week, I would go down to the gym with one of my roommates And I'd swim a mile, but I had a little bit of vision and I could see that dark blue line at the bottom of the pool. So it gave me some sense of going straight and about when I was going to hit the wall. But later on, as I got older, I lost most of my vision and it was not easy. And what I kept doing was just to make sure I wasn't swimming into someone else's lane. I'd always veer a little bit towards the ropes. And after you swim a mile, you just have to hit your arm every once in a while, you know, it'd probably wind up being 50 times the whole exercise. But by the end, I had this huge welt on my arm. And I once went to a sports store and I said, I'm looking for arm protectors, arm pads. And they said, for what sport? And I said, swimming. (laughs) And they just had a chuckle. So that's the way I protected myself. But I don't remember how I ran into the wall. I mean, you know, I wasn't a racing swimmer, so I wasn't going at super speeds. I never really counted strokes, but in my head, I guess I kind of knew when I was getting close to the wall and I'd maybe slow down a little bit.
0: You used to stick your arm out and just glide into the wall so that you wouldn't hit it with your head.
1: Right. And I didn't do the fancy turns like competitive swimmers would. So how well... Did your technique work in practice? I take it you eventually tested this with real blind swimmers?
2: Unfortunately, I actually wasn't able to because of Corona. Oh things. and then the coaches were obviously very helpful in that sense as well. Um, because I would have you know loved to actually test this device in the water using visually impaired swimmers, but also small things like being able to find buttons on the wearable and how easy it is for them to put it on without being able to see the product and uh, determine the orientation of it. So it's all these little things that designers have to think about that I unfortunately wasn't able to actually test in person. You didn't get a chance to test it yourself? No, I did not actually. Again, because of Corona, all the pools in England at the time were closed. Mm -hmm. Um, I tested it on land, actually. Um, I just walked up to a wall and it uh, happened to work, thankfully. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah i hope that i can develop it further um and at that point actually test it in the water on visually impaired swimmers and it's very interesting because since kind of coming out with this product people have emailed me saying you know i would love for this to come out like if you ever need anyone to help test like please let us know which has been amazing
1: so i'm kind of curious. You t- Talk about designing a product like this, and based on a lot of technologies, you must have had to learn a lot of technologies, it must have required some money to purchase different devices, try them out. How does all that work when you're in school?
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, we, as a student at Loughborough University, get a budget of 500 pounds that we can use Um, But also a lot of the times I was looking at other projects going around at the university within other departments and I would then go and look at their technology that they were using. So that would be no cost for me, but then I could still see if it would suit my product, which was great.
1: Oh, that's neat. Because it's not easy to put these technologies together. There are just so many moving parts and so many considerations, as you pointed out. You have to think of a lot of things and be familiar with a lot of pieces of technology.
2: Yeah, definitely. But that's why you have such a long research period at the beginning, so that you ensure that what you're actually going to hopefully try out will then be the best possible option to work. But actually, halfway through my design, I was like, oh, this isn't going to work. Okay, now I have to switch it all up and even start from the beginning again. And you have to rush a little bit. Um, But trial and error. And that's absolutely no problem in design. At least you now know, okay, this is not an option. This is not going to work. We need to now recuperate and think of something else. Um, And eventually it turned out great because now it works. So.
1: Yeah, I think people don't often appreciate what goes into product design, the number of iterations, the number of failures, and the creativity that goes into it. They see the finished product, and it looks simple.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: And in your case, it looks beautiful. I've seen a photograph of it.
2: Thank you very much. Yeah, I think quite often when people think design, they just think that we just draw pretty pictures. Um, but that's not quite the case there's a lot that goes into it even like it's the user interface it's the materials that you use it's the joining methods of the product and so for this as well I had to make it fully waterproof um, to be able to use in the water for a long period of time.
1: Right yes have you thought about trying to connect with blind swimming organizations or some agencies for the blind that might help you in pursuing the next step in this project?
2: I haven't tried blind swimming organizations as of yet, but I have been in contact with some other uh, people like uh, professors from universities here in the Netherlands uh, to hopefully help me out. Because the problem at the moment is both funding and I need other people to help me with this regarding like engineers and, you know, all those other people that go into making a product. But I hope that this can, you know, be on the market at some point. The only thing is obviously that FINA, you know, the swimming regulation board needs to approve this to be used in competition as well. And that's also another big hurdle. But for them, I believe that as soon as, it is fair for everyone, then I don't see why the rules could not be bent to uh, include this in competition.
1: Wouldn't that be great? It would be. Well, I hope you get a chance to pursue this project and maybe Blind Swimmers will be benefiting from it in the future. We'll keep our ears and eyes open and good luck with your future ventures.
2: Thank you so much.
1: You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 Success.
0: Now, for this week's final item, how to learn more about the optic low vision swimming aid and how to contact Myrta Hofstetter directly.
1: If people would like to contact you to find out more about your device or just some of the ideas you have, how would they be able to do that?
2: They can contact me via my email. Uh, so my email is mirthahofstede at gmail.com. Um, I also am on LinkedIn uh, at Mirthahofstede or on Facebook also Mirthahofstede. That's no problem. Any of those sites.
0: Can you spell your name?
2: <laughs> of course. So my name is Hofstede. So M-I-R-T-H-E-H-O-F-S-T-E-D-E.
1: Do you have any social media? that you'd like to share with us?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, also Instagram or anything like that. There is also an article that has been written um, by Loughborough University um, on the device. So if anyone else is interested in having a bit more of a read deeper into the technology used, um, then they can always find that as well. The product is called Optic. So I'm sure if you Google that, you'll be able to find the article.
1: And can you spell that?
2: Optic is O-P-T-I-C. Nothing funny in the spelling. No, not with optic.
0: (laughs) Just normal English, because you were in the UK when you developed it.
2: Yes, yes.
1: And of course, we'll have links to all of that information, as well as a link to the article that she referenced in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net.
0: That's it for show number 2206. As Myrta said, she developed this prospective product as a school project, so she had a short time frame and a reduced budget with which to work. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about product development at Humanware, where they had more time and more money, and they came out with actual marketable products. We'll speak with Dominic Labbe, product development director for blindness-related products at Humanware, and he will describe how the process works at Humanware
1: for developing products such as the Victor Reader. So if you want to hear how a major corporation does the product development cycle, tune into that episode next week.